good morning. Thank you for letting us come and share what God did on a trip not long ago. Um, in Acts 1, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. Now, we did not go to the remotest part of the earth, but uh, 20 hours of flying was enough, okay? So, um, I've got to say one thing in Swahili. Wana Asafiwe. Amen. I'm going to say it again. Wana Asafiwe. That means the Lord should be praised, and he should be. Uh, First Baptist Church Tomball is part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and that means that we cooperate with all the other Southern Baptist churches to maximize the use of resources to obey the Great Commission of Jesus, to go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, there's two parts. The North American Mission Board does missions in the U.S. and Canada, and then the IMB, the International Mission Board, does missions everywhere else, all over the world. And these two agencies have come together, they're cooperating, um, to do compassion ministries under the name Send Relief. Somewhere. And um, so this trip to Nairobi was organized by Send Relief as part of their global initiative called Serve Tour. And so we were able to go to the very second one of these, and it is Serve Tour Nairobi. So we were in Nairobi, Kenya. And I want to tell you that while we were there, I was very proud of the work of Southern Baptist. All the money that we give to the cooperative program and the money that we give to Lottie Moon uh, and Annie Armstrong to support missions around the world, it's not going to waste. Um, the Send Relief team in Nairobi, together with the IMB's Nairobi City team, asked local Kenya Baptist churches, those are churches that were started under the work of the International Mission Board of Southern Baptists, for proposals for projects that would help them reach the most vulnerable segments of their communities. And they received 40 good proposals. And from that, um, there were, well, there were eight churches from eight different states in the United States that sent teams, and we were one of those. Um, the first morning we spent in a training session learning the same things that the local churches had been learning, uh, evangelism, how to share their faith. Uh, we learned our 15-second testimony. Hey! I'm going to give that right now. There was a time in my life where I was full of fear and full of anger. I was scared that I was going to die and I was going to go to hell. And that made me want to fight with everybody. But one day I heard about Jesus and I believed that he was my Savior and Lord. And ever since then, I have had joy and peace. Do you have a story like that? Thank you. We, we could go through and everybody share their story, but if you don't have that story, I pray that
that God will open your eyes and your heart to him. Uh, These appear on the stage, um, we're able to go on that trip. And, um, but we're just an extension of this church. We got to be the hands and feet there, but we had a lot of support here. Um, First of all, I wanna say thank you to the staff. When I was able to share uh, the vision that Lana and I had about going on this trip, they really embraced it. So thank you, Pastor James and Steve and Christy and Josh and Cody. Um, They sort of just gave us license to go and we did it. And so I wanna thank you for that. And Susan Rasko's not here today, today, but uh, I think she's online, but I wanna say thanks to her. After our very first, before we even had a meeting, when it was just sort of announced, she came and said she felt called to lead the prayer team. And she asked a whole bunch of you to pray 24 hours a day and for months going into it. And so I just want, if, if you were part of that, if you prayed or if you gave, we had people who generously gave to help support this trip and make the cost not quite so much for us. And if you were one of those, could you just raise your hand? If you were praying and giving, thank you so much. This, the things that God did, the, the, the way that the Spirit moved before us, we saw 26 people come to Christ. And the gospel was shared, the gospel was shared over 100 times. And I think through the whole group, there were, I can't remember, 130? 130 people through the, of all those eight churches that went, um, that came to Christ during that time. So God moved in a big way, and each one of you is a part of that. So thank you very much. I want to talk to you just really quickly about the church that we worked with. You've probably seen pictures now. Gashui Baptist Church is the name of the church. The pastors, as Paul said, had to fill out a rigorous application to state exactly what they would use funds for, what the next mission effort of their church would be. And so the pastor at this church, whose name is Chacha Boke, say it with me, Chacha Boke. Chacha is a very common name there, but it's fun to say, isn't it? Chacha Boke. So Chacha had started praying with the leadership of his church as to what should they do if they were able to get a volunteer group, what area of their neighborhood should they reach out to next? One morning during that time, he said he woke up with his nephew on his mind who had special needs, and he knew what his family had gone through in supporting that child and the difficulties they faced. Down the street from the church was a special needs school. It's a public school, but it's a special needs school, and he, that's what the Lord laid on his heart. So he sent Margaret, one of the head leaders of the church, to meet with a headmaster from the school, and together they talked about what the possibilities would be if a group came. And he was asked, what are the three main things that you all need? And he said, food, because they feed the kids every day. The second thing, painted classrooms. Their classrooms were not in good condition. They're the most forgotten group in Africa. And the third thing was his big dream, and that was a knitting machine so that these kids could grow up and learn a skill that they could one day then be paid for so they could support themselves. 
So you'll hear more about that as we go. But the last thing, and his wife told me about this, that he told her, I'm going to ask them for 25 names of families with their contacts of, uh, that are in close proximity to the church. And she told me, she said, cha-cha, they are not going to give you those names. It's a public school. But they did. They gave him phone numbers and neighborhoods of where these people lived so that we could go. We were able to take a bag of food with us and deliver it to those people. So that was such a special thing. You'll hear more about that. I do want to tell one personal story really quickly. We have a two-minute clock on us. Mine's out. I'm aware. This is really quick, but this is so encouraging. Damaris was one of the ladies that was from the church that worked with us that week and went out. We had gone to do our home visit for the special needs child. And as we were coming back out and going down this trail, an older woman was coming toward us. And we greeted her and said, what are y'all doing? And we explained, and she said, you must come to my house. So her house was just right through there. And we went to her house where her two granddaughters lived with her, a 20-year-old and 19-year-old. Her name was Esther, and she had trusted in Jesus a long time ago. And the 20-year-old had. But when I gave my 15-minute testimony... The 18-year-old said, I don't have a story like that. So Damaris began to share the gospel with her in Swahili, and by the end of that time, she had won her to the Lord. The neatest thing, well, nothing's neater than that, but one neat thing to note is that when I asked Damaris what her story was, she said, when I was younger, a missionary from North Carolina came to our town and showed us the Jesus film. And when I saw that film, I knew I had to trust Jesus as my Savior. I can't wait till that missionary gets to learn about that in heaven one day, because that work he did or she did is now continuing through this person. Well, good morning. I'm Verlin Keel. Uh, yes, the two-minute clock is impossible. Uh, we learned 15-second testimonies, but two minutes to, to share everything that happened is, is just very difficult. But I was asked to give just a quick update on the painting work, and, and then I'll share a quick story also. Uh, we painted 12 classrooms, and uh, we uh, worked four days, Tuesday through Friday, uh, typically, there were about three of us from this team on the stage, and then three or four men and women from the, uh, from the church also that were working with us. And uh, so by the end of the week, uh, we had all but the floors and four of the rooms painted. So that was ceilings, walls, and floors, and we had all of that done. Uh, I think the work uh, probably inspired some of the other folks around us, too. We had a van driver uh, that... Because, again, the church was 12 miles from where uh, we were staying in a hotel. And Nairobi is about the size of Houston, and they have traffic problems too. So it was anywhere from 35 minutes to an hour and a half, uh, depending on when we were going and coming, as to how long it took us to drive through that. So, again, and, and again, they drive on the left side of the road. So we were thankful we had a good van driver. And uh, by the second and third days and fourth days of our visit, he actually brought his own coveralls and started helping us paint also. 
his, his responsibility was simply to drive us and then just stay with the van during the day while we were working. But uh, he jumped right in with us also. And then the last day of the week, uh, several other U.S. teams that were there uh, had, had to be rescheduled for some reasons. And so we also had a few folks from uh, a church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania helping us and all, also uh, some students from California Baptist University. Uh, so again, it was great to work alongside with them also in all of that. But, it, but a quick story right quick, as Paul mentioned, planning on this trip on a way back uh, for myself, the first, uh, the first meeting that we as a group had uh, was October 9th, so almost nine months ago. And uh, it was still very sketchy then exactly what we would be doing, but you know things were beginning to take shape. One, one bit of information we had was that we would probably be painting. And I thought, well, I, I can paint, so I'm, I'm good to go. Several meetings later, as, uh, as more information came in about what we would be doing, uh, it was shared it would be working at a special needs school, as Paul and Lana have already outlined and as you've seen pictures. And I, I began to get a little nervous because I thought, well, my career as an engineer, I was always, if it's broke, figure out how to fix it. Or if it's, if it's not broke, figure out how to make it run better or smoother or more efficiently, whatever it may be. And I thought, what in the world am I going to be able to contribute in, in working with these students? And then Paul made a statement in one of our subsequent meetings. He said, if you go to Nairobi and all you do is paint, then you failed. And that really hit me. And so as, as time for the trip grew near and as we got down there, I was still thinking, you know, how, how is this going to work? But uh, the first day we got there, uh, or the, the first day that we were to be working, uh, I happened to be placed on the painting team. And the teachers and the principal there had already told us, he said, you've got permission to go in, talk to the students, uh, mingle with them. Uh, and, and they said, even if you want to take pictures, that's fine. And we thought, boy, that's really a change from anything that we would have here in the U.S., isn't it? And so mid-morning, we took a break, and a group of us walked into one of the classrooms where the students were. And again, these were mostly boys, mostly junior high, maybe senior high-aged boys, and, and none of them could speak. And various disabilities were evident in just looking at them. And... I, I didn't know what to do, but as, as we walked in, they all just like little gentlemen, just stuck their, stuck their hands out to shake hands. And so we started, started shaking hands with them and seeing the smiles on their faces and everything. And after I'd shake, sh- shook hands with about four or five, and, and again, they wouldn't want to let go of your hand. But uh, anyway, as we worked around the room, I, I realized one of the teachers had walked up beside me with a a small boy, junior high age boy, and she said, he just wants to give you a hug. And I dropped down on my knees and got a hug like one of my grandkids would have given me. And uh, I just realized we just, we just needed to be there, hold their hand, be with them, and, and just help them in any way they could. Well, I get to tell you a little bit more about the Doggeretti Special School. 
It is a school for special needs children, and they have between 160 and 180 special needs children that they help meet needs for, and uh, that is elementary school all the way through high school. And they have several goals for their students. They get to um, obviously provide education. And um, they do that with through their classrooms and teachers. Um, they also uh, provide something very interesting. It's pre-vocational training. And as special needs um, students, um, they are allowed to take special classes that will help them learn a skill that can um, later on in life help provide for them and their families. So we got to see them. um, There's classrooms with sewing machines, so they're learning to actually sew. There are um, beading and jewelry making. Um, Some of us are wearing some of their handiwork, and we were actually able to purchase that. They sell them um, so that they can turn around and use those funds to continue buying craft supplies to continue continue teaching them. And um, uh, one of my favorite things was um, they love the latch hook rugs. And I remember making those as a child and they were so proud to show them to us and so excited. And most of the um, special needs issues are either some form of cerebral palsy, so they have physical difficulties, or um, a form of autism. And so most of the children we met were actually nonverbal for the most part. So um, it was um, interesting to see how the school just continually worked to meet their needs in such an amazing way. And um, they also provide uh, nutrition, uh, badly needed nutrition for these students. So when we were there, we saw them eating a porridge uh, that was very nutrient rich and uh, just giving them nutritional support that they more than likely wouldn't be getting otherwise. Um, So we got to deliver this knitting machine. The school um, had asked that we, um, that was something that God would provide. They had faith and Send Relief was able to provide the funds. And so when we arrived on Monday morning, the knitting machine was waiting for us there at Gashui Baptist Church. And the pastor and some of his staff, we all piled in and, and went the short distance to the school and we got to um, present it to the school. And in true Kenyan fashion, it was very um, full of ceremony. Um, they like to, to do things in a very ceremonious uh, way. So it was um, the just receiving of this amazing gift that they um, saw very much as an answer to prayer. And as a government-sponsored school, just us as a very openly Christian group being able to go into this school was pretty amazing. Their staff and their um, headmaster, Benjamin, very strong in their faith and in uh, the way that they love these children with the love of the Lord as well. So that was an amazing um, gift for us to be able to see. But as we presented it to them, it was amazing to see the gratitude that it wasn't just that God had provided. It was just the acknowledgement that they couldn't believe we had come from so far away to help give it to them. And um, it was... uh, something that uh, the headmaster had shared with our group is that a lot of people say they're going to come and they're going to do things and then they don't. 
So it was um, just a gift for us and a privilege for us to actually get to go and and be present and be a part of that. Uh, So this knitting machine, most of us had no idea what a knitting machine is. Um, It's a giant... um, Machine. It's heavy. It, uh, you thread it with yarn. The school um, asks their students. They're required to wear uniforms. So they have uh, green pants and white shirts and green sweaters. And we, we saw firsthand the desperate need for a knitting machine to help them um, actually get to make the sweaters that they require their children to have and, and wear. And they were quite threadbare and holes in them and wearing out. So um, it was an amazing gift that that uh, we were able to get to bless them with. So uh, we were very excited that they didn't just see that as providing for a need, but they saw that as God's hand of blessing. So that was exciting. And um, one of the sweet special moments for me, particularly was um, when we weren't painting, we got to go visit the families or some of the families of the students of the school. And I got to meet the family of um, a boy named Joseph. He's 14 years old and uh, had a lot of physical disabilities, even had uh, trouble walking well and uh, was nonverbal. And yet he, uh, his favorite thing to do was run. And it was after school, so I actually got to meet him in his home. And uh, through the school, uh, he had been selected to participate in an area-wide special event for special needs children, and he got to compete in a race. So as we were praying with this family, and the mother was telling us this story, even he had just the enthusiasm and excitement in his face. He couldn't verbalize what that had meant to him through the school helping provide that opportunity for him, but just... Um, Um, just the fact that in the midst of their um, circumstances with no job and and just the difficulties of raising a special needs child on her own with no husband present, um, they were just giving glory to God that he had gotten to do something that he was so passionate about. So it was very precious for me to see firsthand how the school just... um, meets the needs of their students in so many incredible ways. They do also have a need that we wanted to share with you. Um, They're asking us to pray, and I know they would be excited if you would join us in praying for them. They have a need for a full-time occupational therapist. So we want to join them in praying for God to provide that for them so that they can have some more uh, just specifically targeted therapies for their students. So if you would, if God lays that on your heart to pray for that, I know they would appreciate that also. Hello, everyone. Um, When I found out we were going to go work at a school, I was super pumped. Um, I love kids. I love playing with kids. Um, And so really leading up to our trip, I was praying that God would really open doors to kind of um, get to play with these kids and bond with these kids and live on kids that kind of get get forgotten um, in their culture. And he was so faithful in opening those doors. We got to, um, like Verlin said, they were like, please go visit them, go into their classrooms. And so we did and uh, helped ourselves. And so we would walk in and the first thing they wanted to do was sing for us. <laughs> and so we would sing to them and uh, we learned songs that, um, that they sing all the time. And we got to um, sit with them as they're making their crafts and they're showing off their crafts and 
Uh, we got to play soccer with them, even though they totally beat up on us in the soccer field. And I even got to play volleyball with one of the girls. It was super cool um, to see that God was really creating these opportunities to love on children that um, don't always get shown love. And uh, But one thing I wasn't expecting, um, he really opened those doors for uh, us to get to know the teachers. Uh, I got to talk to a whole bunch of the teachers and... Um, most of them, or all of them that I spoke to, were really strong women of faith, and um, it was so blatantly obvious in the way that they um, loved on these children and really sacrificed for these children, and I was speaking to one of the teachers, and she was telling me that, um, not in like a complaining way, but she was saying that she drives three hours um, to come to school every day, and y'all, traffic in Nairobi is no joke. <laughs> it is crazy, and... Um, so the fact that she does that, and then when she goes home, she's a full-time caregiver to her mother who just broke her hip. So she takes care of her, she takes care of the kids at the school, and then she takes her mom to the appointments and all this stuff. And I said, how do you get, like, how do you keep going? Like, how, do you, how are you not exhausted? And she said, the Lord gives me strength. And it wasn't one of those, like, superficial answers of, like, you know, oh, I get my strength. Like, she obviously gets her strength from the Lord. And... um they just love on these kids and in a way that like is super inspiring to me being a teacher like I totally get to see them love on kids in a honestly a better way than I do and um so it was just really cool to be able to have that time together where we prayed over each other and we encouraged each other and we laughed and we really got to know each other. And um, even though we were only there for four days and some of us didn't get, even get to go to the church that many days, uh, we really created relationships that I know that I will treasure like my entire life and never forget. Um. The, the church leaders and the members of the church, I'm telling you, they were rock stars. We thought we were going to go and teach them some things. I came back changed just by the, the way that they were so passionate about the way that they would share their faith. Anthony's going to talk about that in a minute. One of my favorite parts of the day was in the morning, and then when we'd finished our projects, we got to have church with the church members. And um, we um, talked about our project, and we're given our assignments, but then we were also um, prayed together over what we were we're going to be doing, and then we got to worship and sing together. And so we're going to break this little team up just for a minute. We want you all to stand for a moment. We're going to teach you one of the songs that we got to learn while we were there that blessed our hearts. And so um, just join in as you feel free to do it, and um, let God bless your heart through this music. So who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. I said, who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. Jehovah turns my life around. Jehovah turned my life around. He makes a way where there is no way. Jehovah has the final say. I said, who is the king of kings? Jehovah is the king of kings. I said, who is the king of kings? Jehovah is the king of kings. Jehovah turned my life around. Jehovah turned my life around. He made a way where there is no way. 
Jehovah has the final say. Ah, hi, I'm Anthony Goodman. Uh, got the privilege of going with everybody. It was really wonderful. I just wanted to talk about the people at Geshui Baptist Church is where we were at. And um, I just want to talk about the people. The people were wonderful. I mean, it's just, I, had, we, I think we had expectations going in. But when we got there, the very first day, they just came out and they were just wanted to talk to us and touch us and hold their and just shake their hands and give them hugs. And we just felt like we just uh, were at home. I think, I think all of us would say that we fell in love with them within the first hour that we were there. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, I'll tell you a little story that um, I, I kind of had, uh, we were talking about how we're going to communicate, okay? And so, you know, we had to learn a little Swahili here and there, and we got there, and, and, and one of the first days, we were all talking to different people and standing around, and then I started seeing people from the congregation, you know, that were talking to us, and they were, they had this little smile on their face, you know, and little grin, and they were, and they were looking at us, you know, and I, and I thought, well, what's going on? Why are they doing like this? And so, so later on, one of the ladies uh, told a group of us, she said, and, and this is something that's kind of funny, but she said, you Texans talk so fast. <laughs> and I was like, what? Texan talking fast? That does not happen. But uh, so we learned how to pronounce our consonants. And that's the thing. That's the thing. When you're talking to them, you have to pronounce your consonants so they can understand you. And so when we went out and visited, um, that's what we did is we made sure that I was talking slow and, and, and uh, would be able to share the gospel in a way that they can understand. And uh, <clears throat> so another thing I wanted to say is that um, what I was amazed with the people of Geshui Baptist Church is when, is when we went out to talk to those people, everybody from that church knew the gospel in their heart. And you know, when they went up and talked to those people and I would listen and then they would look at me and say, share, you know? And so I got to share with them in English, the ones that could speak English. But um, they would talk to them and I was listening and they, and the, one of the most amazing things is that they said, tell me about God. They asked, those, they asked the people who were visiting, and they said, oh, yeah, I know God. And so if, if it was in America, I think in America we kind of go, okay, they're Christian. We're going to be going on. No, but those people, these people at this church, they, they wouldn't let them get away with that. They said, tell me how you know God. Tell me the things that you have to, has to happen in your life that you will know you're going go to go to heaven. That, you're gonna, that you have to say, according to the scriptures, Christ died for us, and he was rose again on the third day. And they had to know that. Or they would not let it get away with it. And I think it was so cool to go and um, be encouraged on how to witness to people. And um, that's all. Thank you. Um, if you're wondering who the strange person is on the panel... <laughs> I'm Patty Turner. Actually, um, my husband, my husband, handsome husband over there, uh, we're members of Champion Forest Baptist Church. I've known these two people forever. I'm not going to say how long because we're really still in our 30s or 20s. Um, and these two also from a long time ago. So I feel very blessed. It was definitely divine intervention that um, she called and said, we have a spot. Do you want to go? 
And I said, well, yeah, I, I need to pray about it. But I was going, yes, you know. So um, anyway, so I was blessed to be a part of the team. And to expound a little bit on what Anthony was talking about, we went to the, the Baptist compound the first day. And they trained us how to tell our story in 15 seconds. And we're from Texas. We don't do anything in 15 seconds, right? So, um, so we learned how to tell our story in 15 seconds. And then they sh- told us how to share the gospel with uh, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. So it was just a different way to share the gospel. And they said, it really works in, in Kenya. And we discovered it really does work. It was so easy to share the gospel. And we all have stories. Um, and the, the church members were very well trained in that. Um, but we all have stories about going into the slums. I'm talking dirt floors. You don't even know where you're going. You're going through a maze. And you're with a church member. They don't know where they're going. They're just you know, usually following somebody. And so the first time that I went out, and it's very emotional, sorry, um, we went into the slum just with one lady from the church who's just phenomenal. And she texted, they all have phones, she texted one of the moms, the uh, special needs moms, and she would come out of the slum area and get us because we don't know where we're going. And so we followed her back in down these little alleyways and tiny little narrow dirt paths that only one person could get down. And you go into these rooms that are dirt floors. They have plastic for a doorway, if they have a doorway, and very few places to sit, just incredible living environment. But they have so much joy. Um, They're happy in their community, and it's just the way they live. So we sat down and explained to her, you know, first of all, we really stuck out because we're all white, um, so it was easy to talk to people. Um, But we sat down and started talking to her, and she was a Christian. Her name was Esther, and her special needs daughter was the youngest, and her name was Joy, but her 19-year-old son was sitting there, and and he wasn't in school anymore. He wasn't working, and so we started to talk to him, and he said, I'm very angry with God, and I said, why are you angry with God? He said, because my dad left us, because when Joy was born, and they thought, you know, the family was cursed, so he left. And that's pretty much what they do. And the men leave because they think it's a curse when you have a special needs child. So I was you know, able to share the gospel with him. And when I was leaving with Esther, I said, Esther, I know exactly how to pray for you. I said, I, I also have a special need child that's 22. And I feel, you know, I know exactly how to pray for you. I know what you're going through. God sees you. He loves you. And um, she goes, what's, what's your daughter's name? And I said, McKenna. And then the, the church lady that was with me just went, oh my gosh, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, what? She goes, do you know what McKenna means in Swahili? I said, no. She said, Joy. And the daughter's name was Joy. I was like, oh God, thank you. I mean, that was just another confirmation that I was there. And then another thing that happened that was just amazing. Another mom, we texted another mom. She came and got us. We went to the market where she worked and shared the gospel with her, and she accepted Christ. Well, the whole time I was sharing the gospel with her, they kept moving us around because there was a guy working on the roof. The roof is just plastic. So he was just covering it with more just tattered plastic. So debris was falling, and there's like fruits and vegetables and clothes and stuff. And so after we prayed with her, he came down, and he was very tall. He came down and just stood there and stared at us. And we're like, would you like to talk to us? And he's like, "Mm mm-hmm. And so he sat down, and he didn't speak English very well, but um, she shared in Swahili with him as I prayed. He accepted Christ. He was listening to us. 
as he was thatching that roof. And it was just incredible how God works. And then we, we texted another mom and she came to the market and got us. We walked for about 10 minutes. I can't even tell you how we got to where we went. We just trusted God. And um, she actually lived on the outskirts of the slum area and almost isolated like a leper. And no water, none of them had water, no electricity. And um, her special needs son is violent. He has seizures and he's very loud. So she was very isolated back there. And of course her husband had left her as well. And she was saved and she had so much joy in her circumstances and on the outskirts of that slum and again, I was able to tell her, I know how to pray for you and that you, you are loved and that God sees you. But we're able to connect all these people to churches if they were not connected to a church. So that one day, one day, just for a few hours, there were three people that accepted Christ on that little walk in the slums. So anyway, anyway thank you for praying. I think for me, this trip, started off in a very challenging manner. Um, We went the first day to the training, and one of the things that they talked about in the training is when you're out and about within the community, stay away from groups. If you see a a cluster of people, turn the other way, because usually that's a sign that something bad was going on. That very first day we got to work, Paul's laughing, that very first day we went out to to work, I was part of the street team. I got to go... um, talk and minister to people. And the hardest part, we created, Paul and I, we created that cluster of people. We, for two and a half hours, were surrounded by 25 to 30 young men. And the men have a major issue with drugs and alcohol. And we were surrounded, and then they kept calling them in and calling them in. And at one point, I started to get a little bit nervous because we were, we were told, when you have a cluster, to go. We were the center of it. So it got very nerve-wracking. But the, the coolest part, we were done. In that two and a half hours, five young men prayed with us. And... It's so difficult to recognize and see that all of these people are claiming to be Christian. But when it gets down to it, they say they're Christian because family members have gone to church in the past. They say they're Christian because that's what you say. It's, and, I mean, it's either Muslim or Christian. So if they're not Muslim, then they're, they're Christian. But to hear them and the church members, to hear them just dig, dig in and to really push to get the true story from these people was absolutely amazing. But to be part of that, and for th- the first three days, that's what I did, as I walked the streets with members of the church. And to be challenged to talk and to share and to listen to their stories um, the first two days were amazing. The, the Paul and I on the first day had five. The second day I went out with a different member of the church and that second day, five, five more. It was, it was crazy. I mean, and it's, it's been hard to come back 
knowing that that's the way those people live. To, to hear them say, I'm Christian, but the bottom line is they're using that as a way to push us away and to stop the conversation so they can go about their daily life. It's not because they don't want to hear it. They want to hear it. They just know that if I say I'm Christian, then I'm going to get left alone. And the, the people of the church forcing the issue, and it was, it was challenging because we were in some areas where it was a little bit scary at times. I know Julie and I were in, in one. We, had, we walked into a little courtyard and started talking with, with a lady, and they, she was Christian, but the entire time we're standing there, there's a couple little boys. They walk past because, oh, there's, there's white people here. What are they doing here? Because they've, they've never seen. Nobody's ever been in their community. They'd go past, they'd turn the corner. They'd wait a few seconds, turn around, walk right back. They'd disappear behind the clothes hanging on the line. They'd turn around, they'd walk past us again. And eventually, we ended up following those little boys around to their family down the next little alleyway and talk to their family as well. So it was... It was challenging, but very, very enlightening. It's easy to see that God was definitely at work in Kenya, but he was definitely at work in the lives of these people and, and myself that were able to go to Kenya. Um, as I was visiting with some of the ladies just doing regular old-timey street evangelism, every time we would encounter an issue with a particular family, whether it was families that didn't have their fathers with them anymore, or they didn't have jobs, or they didn't have money, they would look at me and say, it's not like this in America, is it? And I had to look at them and say, yes. Yes, it is. We have the, many of the same issues that you do. And then it dawned on me, it was a God moment, that I thought, we're all the same. We may speak a little bit differently. We may have different accents. We may have different kinds of food. I've never eaten so much cabbage and beans and rice in my life. But we're all the same. We're all the same. We have that innate need to love Christ and to share the Christ with everybody. And several have asked me, so what's next with After Africa? And I'm not sure I can answer that right now. We're talking through it. We're, we're investigating some things that we can do. But I do know one thing. I know what the Great Commission says, and that we can all become more intentional about sharing the love and the grace that Christ has so lovingly shown us. And, you know, Tomball is our Jerusalem. Texas is our Judea. North America is our Samaria. And Africa, or wherever, wherever that may be, is the ends of the earth. And so I just want to challenge you to take advantage. It doesn't have to be in Africa. It doesn't have to be in Texas. It doesn't have to be North America, but it could be here in Tomball. And to be intentional about 15 seconds is all it takes to share your faith. 15 seconds. So I want to I wanna say that I appreciate all of you that, that prayed for us 24 and 7. Your, felt, your prayers were felt. Um, just, just immeasurable, immeasurable. And so I, uh, even before we ever started the, uh, the actual planning of the mission trip, we, we felt those prayers. 
And so for that and for those that provided resources, I want to thank you. And we'll keep you up to date on all of our upcoming mission activities. And just one thing, continue to pray for the people around the world. Continue to pray for all these people in this world, in a very hurting world, that as we leave this building today, we have someone, someone crosses our path to share that love and that faith with. Thank you very much. Let's stand and, and pause for, our, for a word of prayer.